the it's always the right time deal. Hey, want to go to Mickey D's for lunch? Ooh, let's go now. <laughs> But it's not lunchtime yet. If we're going to McDonald's, it's always the right time. Yeah, it's hard to argue with that. There's a deal for every lunch hour at McDonald's. Now's the time to get two for $3.99. Mix and match a four-piece McNuggets, a McDouble, a McChicken, or a hot and spicy McChicken. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Okay, um, Shalom, Whitney Cummings here. I he if you hear a baby crying in the background, that's not what that is. That's just my inner monologue at this point. We've found a way to mic it. Um, we have the iconic Amanda Knox here today for round two. Round two. Gosh, when the world is in a very different place and the studio is in a very different place. I see you have my uh, cross-stitch. Thank you yes. for representing it. And by the way, actually round three, because the first one we broke into two parts. Right. Because it was uh, six. It was longer than your prison sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Or at least felt longer. Yeah, it was It was a Joe Rogan experience. <laughs> <laughs> They don't call me Ho Rogan for nothing. <laughs> by the way, since you have been uh, on this podcast, you've been on Joe Rogan. Mm-hmm. I... Look, Joe likes a lot. Joe's when Joe talks about someone when he's on a different podcast, it is a big di like he adores you. Oh, well, he was super nice. I we really clicked. Um and I, I you know, I feel like he's just the whole wrongful conviction thing yep. is a thing for him. Like Drives he, him he nuts. gets it, like he understands the existential crisis of it. And so I really appreciate that. It's not somebody who trivializes it or is just like, oh, you know, whatever, whatever. They just took four years of your life away for no reason. Um, I guess it's really easy to just go, not my problem, can't do anything about. Look, when Kim Kardashian cares about something, <laughs> <laughs> that you know, we, when she cares about any, something besides herself, you know this is a problem. It's I a mean, big even problem. Even she was like, I'm going to take a day off from doing photo shoots. To They're like literally murdering people for things they didn't do. Yeah. But I also, it's like people, I think sometimes with, with issues that are like, not my backyard, not my problem, where people are so busy, they have three jobs, you know, they have kids oh, like sure. what am I going to take on getting people at? Yeah. but like your son could be next your daughter could be next and you're creating people that when they come out most of them don't come out like you and start brilliant podcasts and advocate for others you know when this happens you know to most people they come out and they're gonna actually be a problem in society no like I mean there's yeah there's a lot of struggles especially because there's no like institutional support for people who have been through this experience like there's way more support for people who have actually committed crimes and then get out on parole or whatever like they have programs there aren't really programs in place for people like us who are just like oh oops now you're now you're free There's support um, programs for rich actresses in Hollywood who were hugged too long in a Christmas party, <laughs> but not for people that were put in a cage. And also yeah. it's, you know, as someone who is, you know, uh, you know, I don't want to say psycho. I don't want to pathologize myself about it because I know the reason I do it, of, you know, being so hardcore in animal welfare, you know, a big reason I do it is not only because it's the right thing to do. We're also animals, but also when kids go to zoos, when they go to SeaWorld, they're learning at a very young age, oh, voiceless things or to be exploited for my benefit. Yeah, this is a commodity. This yeah. exactly, and so they learn how to exploit, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But prisons are humans. I mean, there's people that are like zoos are wrong. I'm like, prisons have a lot of people in there that are shouldn't be in there, also. Yeah, and especially now, what would you say about um, 
it drives me nuts that now weed is pretty much legal and there's still so many people in prison for weed. Like, is there a plan? It's like, <laughs> this is, feels like it should just be a sorry guys. Here's whatever reparation, but there's it doesn't seem like there's any movement on that. It drives me nuts. Yeah, there's a, the hearing the sorry guys thing is not something that happens very often, and people are really, really hesitant to do anything retroactively. Like there are a lot of people who are trying to like change laws. Like there's a, a law in Washington that they're trying to change right now, where they make it illegal for you to lie to children when you're interrogating them. So it is legal in the United States to lie to somebody when you're interrogating them. They're trying to make it at least illegal to not lie to juveniles. Okay, great. But they're not willing to apply that retroactively to juveniles who have been lied to in their interrogations in the past. Is this it's like to give proactive. a pop culture example? Do you remember that, um, that show, Making of a Murderer? Yeah, Brendan Dassey. Oh, my God. It makes me sick just thinking about it. And yeah. is that what you mean? Like when they're trying to get some kind of admission, they can yes, lie. And cause as a kid, all I did was lie <laughs> with not being interrogated. So imagine if someone misled, you know. Yeah. Yeah. The 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 idea behind the, the justification for lying is as a legal law enforcement professional we need to use all the tools that we have at hand in order to convince the person sitting across from us that it is in their best interest to confess to us the problem is that in so many of these interrogation scenarios when you lie to someone and say we have evidence that places you at the crime scene or we know because it's like a some you know someone testified that they saw you commit the crime then the person logically innocent or guilty alike is going to start questioning themselves and think, is it possible that I committed a crime and don't even remember? Especially when they're telling you, you have amnesia and don't even remember. Mm -hmm. Or they think, logically, no one's going to believe me if some witness is going to come up and say that I did it. So I might as well confess and hopefully get off with a lesser sentence. Like, it's common sense stuff mm. that people don't really think about. And I think that that's one of the issues is that... When it comes to the criminal justice system, so much common sense is not applied to the laws that we have in front of us. And most of us never have to think about it because we're not in these scenarios. And the kind of people that, for the most part, are responsible for enforcing or do are underpaid. They, it's like, it, it's like I, you know, I dated a doctor for a while uh -huh. who was in search, saw a lot of horrible stuff in an ER. And as I'm dating this guy, I realize it's not that he lacks empathy. It's just he's had to see so much horrible stuff that his just bandwidth for horror has gone down. Oh, and yeah. So, I mean, I remember, you know, look, I was not the best at communicating back then. And I was very embarrassed about having feelings or being needy. So there was a lot of like, how are you? And I'd be like, I'm fine. And he'd be like, great. And I'm like, how did you not pick up on, you know, there's yeah. it's not a lack of empathy, but it's just sort of, there's a point where you have to get desensitized. So it's almost like the very people that need to be the most sensitive have had to become desensitized. And it's just like people just kind of become numbers. And it's just like, how do yeah. you? The it's always the right time deal. Hey, want to go to Mickey D's for lunch? Ooh, let's go now. <laughs> but it's not lunchtime yet. If we're going to McDonald's, it's always the right time. Yeah, it's hard to argue with that. There's a deal for every lunch hour at McDonald's. Now's the time to get two for $3.99. Mix and match a four-piece McNuggets, a McDouble, a McChicken, or a hot and spicy McChicken. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. You know, you know, it's just so much easier to just go like, all right, fine, guilty, guilty, guilty. Because when I think about all these people that were selling weed, like, what? What's the plan? Right. Well, and especially when you think, like, I'm really glad you actually brought up medical issues with this because you see a similar thing 
across like the criminal justice system and the medical system because both are places where human beings are pathologized like you like anyone who's entering into those spaces they're looking for the problem they're looking for the problem in you as a human being they're not looking at what works they're not looking they're they 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 get used to seeing problems and not being able to read that potentially they're the problem yeah. or like there's something wrong with like what the the context of the situation so yeah like I, I think a lot of well not a lot of medical professionals are starting to reconsider the idea that p- perhaps when they have a client come to them they shouldn't just think what is wrong with you how do I diagnose you with something that's wrong with you um, that's one problem, but mm-hmm. also in the criminal justice system, it's not just treating everyone like they're a problem right, and right. that they're an obstacle and you have to crack that nut. Right. And instead, and that, and that puts this, you in this position of not trusting these authorities that you ultimately rely on. People like you that are as smart as you, incisive as you, you know, sagacious as you, I always love to ask this question about what you've learned about human nature through this you know, trauma and, you know, um, and, and now what you're exposing yourself to, um, in terms of, um, helping make change. There's something in, um, animal rescue, uh, it's called founder syndrome. It's in a lot of charities as well. Mm. It's basically when you start with, you know, a good intention, I'm going to save animals. I'm going to help kids with cleft palates. I'm going to help with addiction. You start off with great intentions. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then you, you know, people start telling you you're so amazing and, you know, and you, you're such a saint, and da da da, and you're getting these donations, and you are, you know, making a difference. But mm. then you sort of, it starts to affect your frontal lobe a little bit. You know, who knows yeah. whether, you know, I'm sure nature, nurture, you know, plays a role, uh, adrenaline addiction, whatever. And then all of a sudden, these people that started, you know, it happened here in LA at a place called Wildlife Way Station, where this woman um, was paying herself $90 a month out of the donations. There was no water on the premises. She was relying on free, you know, volunteers and stuff to do everything, was sure. working them insane hours. And then they, you know, see what's going on. But then once you see how horrific that you don't want to leave. So it's like zookeepers. There's a lot of a really amazing zookeepers who know zoos are bad, but they're like, if I leave, it's going to be even worse, you know? So it's, but the person at the top, something has corrupted their brain, whether it's power. I'm not smart enough to know what it is. I do know, um, you know, just the history of comedy is something I'm, you know, hopefully know a little something about, you know, it obviously started in America. Stand-up comedy is uniquely American, but the idea of the court jester you know, even back then, they knew before, you know, Andrew Huberman and science, they knew there's something about if someone can't laugh at themselves, power has corrupted their brain in some mm. capacity, right? So the Joker's job was to try to make them laugh and make fun of them. Right. And if the king didn't laugh, there was like something wrong, right? So I I'm love just, that. <laughs> isn't that wild? So, and, <laughs> and so, um, so I'm curious, like what you're saying is like feels like the same thing where you get in to help people. And then all of a sudden it just becomes a job. You're underpaid. You have to get desensitized. There's a certain mm-hmm. point where you think like, I'm, you know, have you learned, gleaned anything just about human nature in general? And maybe we kind of already said it about sort of, uh, you know, I think because you've been through it, the fire in you will never die because mm-hmm. you know what it feels like. But have you seen just in working with people like glean something about just like human nature that doesn't have to be discouraging for me? I'd rather just know the truth, you know, but just mm-hmm. curious, any insights? I mean, uh, I've, I've read a wise quote recently, which was something along the lines of those who believe that they are the most righteous are the ones who are most likely to commit the most harm. There you go. So, like, if you firmly, firmly believe without question that your cause is the righteous one, you are willing 
you unconsciously are willing to harm and cut, you know, cut corners and break the rules and dehumanize people in the process in order to achieve your righteous end. And Mm. so questioning yourself, asking yourself at every moment in time, how can how could I be wrong? Mm -hmm. Every one of us is wrong at some point and constantly sort of reflecting, just having a moment of pause and being like, what am I wrong about right now? Mm. I know I'm wrong about something. And by the way, (laughs) it'd be weird if you weren't. I mean, most science is debunked every couple years. I mean, it's like, you know, when I dated a doctor, he'd said it's called a practice for a reason. We're practicing. This is not the championship. Patients are called patients. We need you to be a patient. You know? That's convenient. We don't, yeah, we don't, we, it's right there in the names, guys. Like you're in the waiting room for two and a half hours to overpay for a, to, for me to tell you that you're on your period for yeah. every problem you have, you know? So it's that's that's so I see that so much. And I'll just speak for kind of the woke justice warrior, you know, kind of charlatans in, in my field where their whole thing is like you know, about you have to say this and you have to use this word and you have to use this. And it's like, you don't see that you're bullying other people with your self-righteous indignation cause. Like, how do you not see this? But you're justifying being a meanie by saying, well, I'm protecting other people. Like, who, bitch? (laughs) Who? Yeah, do you see the person next to you? Is the person, like, especially when when everyone's so divorced of the people that they're actually having the impact with, it's like when you're actually engaging with human beings, what is the impact you're having? Mm. Like, how are you making people feel? And I think people lose sight of that. Like, we've lost sight of just interconnectedness and, like, the actual impact of our actions because we're spending so much time in this abstract space and this, like, theoretical idea of what's right and what's wrong instead of, like, really sitting with, you know, like what's right and what's wrong really depends a lot on the human beings that are in front of us and how they're interacting with each other. Um, I think that people are complicated and I think that issues are complicated. And so when you treat them in these really, really strict black and white, this is how it is and this Mm -hmm. is how it isn't ways of thinking, you're just inevitably going to be like charging rampaging over people's feelings and experiences and all the people that think they're the most right are always the people that are like news is fake and you're like then how are you right (laughs) there's nothing's true (laughs) so how could you know you know it's like the you know the same thing where it's like you know we kind of have to question everything even like some science stuff these days as someone that and i've talked about this before i was in focus groups when i was broke you know i would go to ucla and be like are you depressed Come do this. Sure. Yes, for 50 bucks cash, I am depressed. Also, even if I wasn't before, walking up to a depression study for cash is I am now. And I would say what I had to say to get called back to come to more studies. So if you were like a good pupil, Tracy Flick, and these studies, you know, I did it for Neutrogena and L'Oreal, and you're probably going to sue me. I have umbrella insurance. Um, But, uh, you know, I would go in and I would get feedback on stuff, and you would, they'd be like, what are the side effects? Do you have a headache? I'd be like, yes. <laughs> I do have it. Thank you for reminding me. You know, and you say what you have to say, and it's like, you know, so I just, not to say that all science, but everything, you know, most science is mostly white kids in colleges that yeah. are in these studies, you know, or it's the ones I was in was a lot of meth heads who needed 50 bucks very quickly, you know, so it's like, so for any of us to think we're right about anything, it's just, it's, you're embarrassing yourself, you know, and, um, but yeah, I think though there is something, whether it's religious shame, whether it's, you know, you know the the theory about why public speaking is so afraid, uh, uh, terrifying for people is because you know on epigenetic level, 
if, you know, thousands of years ago in tribal times, you were speaking in front of people, that meant you were making your case in front of the tribe. Ooh, yeah. And you would not, you know, which we'll get to your public speaking in a second. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, I'm, I am fascinated by this new, you know, and I'm so grateful that you did the roast. We'll talk about it in a second, because to me, the roasts are all about you know, shame release. And they're mm. all about being able to say like, yeah, I've made mistakes. Yeah. Who hasn't like, yeah, I've, well, you haven't, <laughs> you got the punishment I should have had and vice versa. But, um, I do have a bit about how I feel like you would survive very well in prison in the dude, prison environment. Dude, I would be running shit. Like, <laughs> I, I, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I feel like you would have wrested control from yeah, the I'm, warden because the warden be like, oh, wait, no, she can Like, I've seen you produce a comedy special, and it's like, no, no, no. Like, if you can herd a whole bunch of comedians, and the line between, like, criminal and comedian is, like, there so is, 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 is The line is just cocaine. It's a line of cocaine laced with fentanyl. <laughs> Like, I feel like I would have greatly benefited from you being in my prison <laughs> because I would have been scared as hell of you at first, but then I would have seen that you would have had shit organized <laughs> and I would have been like, yes, commander, tell me what to do. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp and thank God. I mean, reading these ads every week is honestly have been therapy for me. It reminds me that I really, you know, you know what they say in 12 uh, step programs? Your head is a bad neighborhood. Don't go in there alone, okay? It's easy to get caught up in what everyone else needs from you and never take a moment to think about what you need from yourself. You know me, never thinking about myself. Uh, but when we all spend all of our time giving to others, it can leave us stretched too thin. You might get stretch marks, which is a real impetus to get your shit together. You feel burned out. Therapy can give you the tools to find a more balanced life so that you can keep supporting others without leaving yourself behind. You got to put your oxygen mask on before you put it on the person next to you. Who knew Southwest flight attendants had so much freaking wisdom? They're not just talented comedians anymore. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. Just even if it's not suited to your schedule, fit it in. Because I've found that when I'm not taking care of my brain, I call it just going to the brain gym, the same way you would take care of your body, the same way you would um, you know, go to the gym for your muscles in your body, your brain is also muscle. And the more you think negative thoughts, the more you spend time in the future worrying or the past regretting, you're not gonna work the muscle of being in the present. Fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com Whitney today to get 10% off your first month that's betterhelp help slash whitney being a mess is out comedians are going to therapy now what's your excuse i think there's something for me i'll just speak for myself that was very um freeing realizing people thought i was a bitch hmm. where you don't have to worry about people thinking you're a bitch you know and i think just like you know doing a i guess traditionally kind of Honestly, stand-up is not a masculine. It's male-dominated, but it's not a traditionally masculine. It's it's men complaining and talking about their feelings <laughs> and talking about their depression. Hmm. That is the most feminine. To a group of people? You're appropriating <laughs> a womanhood, okay? This is not a masculine art. It's men being like, oh, my, I've got my heart broken. And yeah. you're like, that's not. Dating's that's, hard. That's our thing. That's what we do. It's pillow talk. Yeah, you're just like complaining and, you know, making people listen to you. That's a woman thing. Um, but so I think that once 
you know, and I think that in the beginning, you know, being on stage, I felt like I had to be so much tougher. Hmm. You know, I was so scared. I was so, um, uh, I just felt like I had to be really hard because I always wanted the comedians in the back to respect me or be scared of me. Whatever. What does it feel like to be hard making jokes? Like, I don't even know what that is. What do you mean? Say it again. Like, well, you were like, you had to be tough on stage. Like, what does that mean? I just felt like I had to be a little scary, mm. you know, because I felt like I was so scared. Okay, and I find okay. usually the most scared people are the scariest. Mm. Like, it took me the longest time to realize that anger is just sadness stuff, mm. you know? So it's like when someone's like... There's projecting. It, yeah. you, it's like a small dog that has to, like, bark a lot, you know? You have to make people think that you're... Um, a force to be reckoned with because you're right. so not and I think but I, you're just so fucking fragile yeah, yeah and then I probably just see adrenaline and you know I had only really watched you know I had seen Ellen I had seen Sarah Silverman but I wanted to so badly not to copy any women or you know they also were you know had, had honed who they were by then so I was mostly watching guys so I was like I just need to be this you know and I wanted to make sure that I never seemed like I was trying to be sexy or flirty or the last thing I ever wanted were, you know. Cute. I was <laughs> I was projecting because as an insecure girl at that time, the idea of going to a comedy club with my man and then a girl being like, you know, flirty or whatever, you know. So I always wanted the girls to, I just wanted to de-gender myself entirely, right, right. you know. And I probably didn't know my own power at the time. I felt like I had to, you know, really show people how tough I was, but it already came through. I just wasn't super self-aware. And so, um... Uh, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I have turned into Joe Rogan. I'm just talking about comedy <laughs> 20 years ago at this point. Um, you were talking about public speaking? Well, just oh, in general, like, you know, I think that um, people want to be led. I think for me, it really helped the equine therapy I do, working with herds and prey animals, mm. because the lead mare, you know, the female lion, if you look at um, the animal, the animals that are matriarchies, you know, um, jacana birds, orca, whales, lions, bees, they're the most successful species for the most part. And it's nothing negative to the men. It's not like, fuck men. No, it's like, you guys sleep all day. You need more energy. You're making sperm. You're doing your thing. Like, you serve yeah. your purpose, but the women, for the most part, are the warriors. The women, you know, sort of, like, do more. And I think that when you say matriarchy, I think people, men are like, you don't know. We just, it, just let us do more of the aggressive shit. We have more to defend. We're more vulnerable, so we're going to be more vicious in a lot of ways. Um, and so I think that working with prey animals really helped me uh, mm. because what I do, um, something called a gala and liberty training with rehabilitating abused horses, is that you learn that they they want you to be regal. They want you to have pride. They don't want you to be apologetic. and Because then they're right. like, well, then who's in charge here? Yeah, like I'm freaking out. Like what people is happening? People just want, yeah. for the most part, I don't think people want to be patronized and have draconian rules for no reason. But I think for the most part, people are so afraid of hurting someone's feelings or seeming like a bitch that we're vague and we're unclear. And that's what makes people anxious and stressed out. If you're the leader, you got to lead. If you're not, shut the fuck up and do what the leader's saying. Right. But I think if you've decided I'm going to be in charge of it, I did really learn this when I was first booked a couple like movies and a director one time came over to the actors, the two lead actors, very strong personality comedy guys and he was like so what do you guys think we should shoot next and I just watched the actors just be like they're vulnerable like, they're putting themselves out mean? and they're just like <laughs> and it was over yeah. at that point they're like alright we're doing this we're doing that the director was just like why won't they I'm like dude you fucking gave them your power they're here they signed up for you to lead them and then you it's like someone driving a car being like how do you where do you think we should go and i was like can you fucking want i I lost my (laughs) trust in you yeah you know i don't think anyone 
it's taken me a long time to realize you're not going to think I'm a bitch as long as it's coming from the right place and I'm not just doing this to be sadistic or like for power. Totally, totally. Yeah. Like the feeling micromanaged is definitely something that you do not want, but like feeling, having faith that the person who is, who you're looking to for guidance is actually going to give you guidance and not be ambiguous for sure. Totally. It's a great parenting idea. Well, we're going to talk about parenting in a second because you are on your second baby Mm -hmm. and um, I need to reparent myself. Um, But I I do want to ask on that note, I just wrote this down because when you talked about lying to kids, I was thinking about this recently and all the things that made me distrust adults. Are we are we still doing Santa? I know. So (laughs) I I, just look, if you're going to lie to your kid about Santa and the Easter Bunny, like don't drag me into it. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm very anti lying to kids. Um, I don't think that it's necessary. I've read a lot of, um, so now that I'm on, I've read a lot of, you know, parenting books at this point and you'd be surprised how many of them are like, just lie to them. Just like if they're, if your kid doesn't want to go to sleep, just tell them, oh, I'll go get you some, uh, a bottle and then they don't know. come back. They, they know. know you're lying to them. Like I, you don't need to lie to your kid in order to talk to them. I felt it as a kid. I, it was a lot of, cause I have two friends that are actors and they'll fight. They were going through a rough time. And then they would say to the kid, like, oh, we were just acting. We were working on a scene. And I was like, the kids, know- first of all, you're insulting yourself that you think you had such a dumb kid that doesn't, can't- you feel it. I remember as a kid, you know, feeling tension, feeling tension in the air, being mm-hmm. like, is everyone okay? And they're like, no, we're good. We're good. And I was just was like, it made me feel like I must be crazy because the idea yeah. of thinking your primary caretakers are lying to you, it's too... It's gaslighting. Yeah. Yeah. So then I was like, I guess I must be nuts. Mm -hmm. And then you stop trusting your intuition and then you get into trouble when you're a teenager. Yep, 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 yep. So, so no, we're not doing Santa. We're not doing Tooth Fairy. No, I'm not going to lie to my kids about where their presents come from. Um, also, this is so funny you say this. I was talking to Rick Rubin on his podcast, and I was asking him, like, are you telling your kid about Santa? And he's like, it's so funny you just said that because we did the thing. Santa gave these presents and he, the kid wakes up. He's like freaking out. He's like, there was a man in our house? <laughs> you just let a man in our house? And then all of a sudden they were like, uh, oh, we didn't. What a re- weird the thing. The whole thing think. is you don't talk to strangers. You don't talk to men. You don't sit on men's laps. And then here we are once a year. Oh, and also the people who bring their kids to Santa and like San- and the kid clearly does not want to sit on Santa's lap and is like screaming. You mean doesn't and, like, want to inhale whiskey at 2 a.m.? And like if your kid doesn't want to sit on fucking Santa's lap, like what are you doing torturing your kid? You want to get a photo? Like that's what you want? You want this experience of your kid to be like, I don't understand the whole forcing kids to do anything that they actually don't want to do either um I don't know I'm kind of a hippie dippy parent that way I don't think that's what that is I think like I think there's these what's the word like rituals or something that 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 almost these cult like rituals where it's like here's the photo with Santa I must be a good parent I took it to the pumpkin patch right 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 I had a friend of mine's kid come to my um where my horses are and I had a very clear idea of how I wanted the day to go I was like, the, I had the horse, the baby's going to, a baby, it was whatever, four or five. And I was like, then come see the mini ponies. And then I'm going to show them the tortoise and talk all about dinosaurs. And I had this whole plan for the day of all these animals. Like, there were baby goats and the whole thing. There's a pond. And I was like, we'll go on the little boat on the pond. And then the kid comes and he just wants to freaking climb trees and pick up poop. And I'm like, no, 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 we're going to. And I'm like, no, that's what I wanted the kid yeah. to do. Yep. I wanted him having a photo next to the horse. Like, that's my ego. That's my shit. Yep. 
Yeah. I want to seem like the <laughs> coolest friend ever that got a photo. And also, and then when you have that energy, if you're forcing something, it, prey animals, they just move away from you. They want nothing to do with it because at the end, it just boils down to fear. I'm afraid I'm not going to get this photo. I'm afraid I'm not going to get this moment. I'm afraid I'm, you know, and mm-hmm. the kid's just happy as shit. Yep. Playing with trash. Yep. <laughs> and just wants to walk across this dangerous as hell little bridge. And I'm like, this is what we're doing. Yeah. What was that? Um, I, again, projection, like you have your own visions of the way this, of things that you would have liked and that's what you, I would have enjoyed, but yeah. I'm 40. Yes. <laughs> well, clearly you need to pet the a kid, baby goat. The kids, like, I, got this, I want to give them the childhood I would have wanted or something. Mm. It was also, and I see parents doing this. I see parents putting their kids in baseball. I'm like, baseball is the most boring. Like what kid <laughs> wants to just sit, stand in an outfield and wait to miss a ball? <laughs> it's true. Why? <laughs> you just don't want your kid to get in the dirty or get in the mud or do some other, you know, why would a kid want to stand in the sun in an outfield just waiting for a ball that it's going to miss and everyone's going to yell at him? Yeah, uh, that's a really good point. I mean, I'm I'm trying to think of all these different alternative ways of doing things, and a lot of them is just like following Eureka's like what Eureka's interests are. And a lot of time, like now, right now, she's super into animals, and so I'm trying to teach her to be really smart and thoughtful about animals, like approach with the like back of the hand, and just. But I'm following her, like paying attention you, to her. So you ex- extrapolate on that with the back of the hand because this is like a game. I can't believe everyone doesn't do this. So. I don't understand, maybe again, because people treat animals like commodities, but. They have <laughs> knives in their head. <laughs> they have knives in their head. And they and you don't know what like their history is. They might have trauma where they don't trust anybody else but their owner. Like If they're in my home, they definitely have that. Yeah, so like when I, the way that I've been teaching Eureka to interact with animals is that you have to approach giving very clear signs of like your interest, but not just like, first of all, you ask the, if it's not, your animal you ask the person who is who has the animal can we approach the animal and we say please and then if they say yes then we approach with back of the hand first and then open hand we don't grab the big thing is no grabby and no and and horses especially this drives me nuts because horses and dogs um because I see these awful injuries. I used to date a vet and it's always like kid and you look at a kid who just hits a dog on the head and you're just like, and the parents like, how huh, cute. So cute. Oh, I've seen kids like grab dogs and throw them. And I'm just like, that is not a toy. And they're like, what are you doing? I, that drives me nuts when people do the rhetorical question. It's like, or like, I've told this story before, but I saw this woman, it, it, I don't use the word trigger a lot, but let's just say it, it, um, uh, what did it do? Activated me. Um, I saw this uh, child, probably four or five years old, in a grocery store. The mom is obviously overwhelmed, frustrated. I can't, I, you know, I can't relate to that. I, I you know, but sh- the the child would put cereal, sugary cereal, that because they put sugar cereal in the right lowest there. two on purpose. Yep. And they pay extra for those And then slots. all the candy is right there next to mm-hmm. where you pay. So yes. they have and to touch all the candy. Yeah. Yep. Five or, once it's at five feet, it's like the grape nuts and the bullshit, you know. But they're very, you know, smart about where they put it. So the kid is putting, like, the Lucky Charms in the cart. And then the mom puts it back. And then the kid puts it back in. And then the mom just snapped. It was like, put, put, put the cereal in the cart one more time. See what happens. See what happens. Do it. And I'm just like... I'm going nuts because I just, as a child, I feel like I had such indirect, passive aggressive bullshit like that. Like, yeah. and I, I, I hate myself for doing this because when I see people 
giving parenting advice when someone, I was with a girlfriend of mine once and we were at a coffee shop and she was holding her baby and uh, a woman just walked by and went, you better put some sunscreen on that baby. And I... Also, like, how do you know that the baby doesn't have sunscreen? I, I literally got, I was like, what are you, I couldn't help it. And then I was like, stop fighting with this. There's no point. Um, but I said to the woman, I was like, I just don't think your child understands sarcasm. It was like, yeah. you saw how confused the child was. And I just saw myself in that moment because I spent so much of my childhood being so confused. People would say, I love you. But then they'd be screaming. We would go to church, which was all about being gracious. And then it would be, you know. So it just like drove me nuts, but I don't, I don't think anyone wants to do this intentionally, but I think that when, when women talk about it or men, whatever, and just give permission to, you know, like you don't have to be perfect. No one wants that. Like, no. you know, I have a friend that's a mom who she'll lose her temper and she'll be like, I just lost my temper. Yeah. And I shouldn't have done that. And yes. I'm sorry. And the kid's like, okay, cool. But to go like, what? That didn't happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That I think is the key thing is like you're, you have to model for your kid what what even processing emotions is and so like you and like you can't be perfect you're never going to be perfect so you're going to like the way that I'm trying to teach Eureka is it's like she knows when I'm upset like she and I don't like yell at her she, most likely I, what's happening is something in the world is making me upset and I'll like you Whitney know, I'm, I've had... asked you to do a roast. It's, it's stressful. <laughs> it's stressful. I might be having, like, I still deal with panic attacks. So, like, there's things are happening. And then we, like, sit down. We do a lot of breathing together. Like, if she's having a moment or if I'm having a moment, we just sort of, like, sit and breathe deeply together. Um, those kinds of strategies. But I think you're right. Like, just owning up. Like, acknowledging what happened. Don't pretend that something. Don't gaslight your kid is basically the, the thing. And, like, be clear. Um, one thing that I've read that's really, really been super helpful with Eureka is don't say no say what the consequences are so like if you pull on a dog if you grab a dog it's owie like it's mm. very very clear it's not no because no is just well why the the thing that is understood is owie something hurts and we know what hurting is mm. like it's owie so like we don't want to do that or if you um, if you are gonna fall down the stairs it's like okay let's slow owie fall like those kinds of things convey to the kid what they need to process in order to understand what to do yeah because the kid's brain doesn't naturally go there when you're like don't go down the stairs like why is why? there something down there i shouldn't yeah. have is this right. just not for me or are you just telling me something for the sake of telling me something because i'm living my life here and also <laughs> like, when i was a kid if you told me no that was like a surefire way to get me to want to do it even more exactly and if i didn't do it in that moment i'd wait till i was out of your sight and then i'd be like what's this no about why is this so off limits now I, i'm way more interested in this totally you know it's interesting um and real quick just about when i see so many kids get bitten by horses Ooh. um and when people are like let's take the kid it's like the, it drives me nuts because it's someone that is like you know, it's a very intense relationship with rehabilitating horses. I uniquely know how dangerous they can be, especially because so many people feed them. So they get a lot of times when they bite, it's just because idiots feed them too much. You should never yeah. give treats to horses, especially if they're not yours. And um, so they get bitey. But also horses have their eyes are on the side of their heads. They're not on the front. Right. So people always go in straight to their head and it's confusing to them. You yep. know, like you always go in on you know the side if you're going to do it. But you for ask permission, move forward, you know, and it's like. It just drives me nuts when I see these people that are like, well, horse is a horse bit my kid. I'm like, that is your fault. I don't know how else to say it. The horse was being a horse. <laughs> it's, like when, it's like Chris Rock said about when the um, when the orca whale at SeaWorld killed the trainer. Oh. Uh, or no, no, I'm sorry. It was um, when uh, Siegfried and Roy's tiger uh, dragged. She was like, yeah. no, the, t the tiger didn't. The tiger just 
finally figured out it was a tiger. Yeah. Like it didn't, you know, it wasn't an asshole. That's how it's always been. It was just like the drugs wore off or whatever. <laughs> um, but let's talk really quick um, about the roast. So, yes. yeah. so when I was putting together the people that I wanted to be on the roast, again, you know, uh, comedy, it's a wild time where I don't know if you deal with this on your podcast or on YouTube or whatever, but things are so censored now. And and it's not even like trying to be silenced. And a lot of it is just because, you know, um, Instagram is now owned by Facebook. You know, Apple is now it's, you know, Fox and Hulu is Disney. You know, it's just like these corporations that are taking over and buying everything. Um, YouTube now, even if it's not like if you say something about QAnon, whatever, they just have a spider program that sees QAnon. Even if you're like, this is wrong right. and here's why. You know, even if you're not saying, I support QAnon, those are facts. Like, it right. just takes you out of the algorithm, demonetizes you, blah, And so Comedy Central is effectively gone. There's no place to really do uncensored comedy. And not that I'm trying to say crazy, cra you know, it's, it's censored in a way that's not even sensible. I mean, right, I'm the right. first person to say like, yeah, we don't need to say women are old. We don't need to do like this racist shit's gross. We don't, we don't need, need, to, need to talk about periods. We don't need to. No like, uh, uh, <laughs> hard path. I did that. Okay. Um, that paid for my last house. Um, <laughs> you know, but so I just, I think that the roasts always serve this, this really important purpose of like a shame release kind of yeah. a, a catharsis of shaming yourself, being able to laugh at yourself and seeing that like you can own your mistakes and it's not the end of the world if you did something dumb totally. or if you did something silly. And, you know, because right now we're at this place where it's like everyone is held accountable for a tweet they sent when they were 15 and didn't know better. And oh, of course, their yes. Halloween costume that was misguided when they were 18 is now yeah. going to haunt them for the rest of their life. Hey, y'all. Booty B.O. Sounds funny, doesn't it? Having it? Not so much, okay? That's why I'm excited to tell you about Lumi, the world's best whole body deodorant. It's clinically proven to control odor everywhere, your pits, your privates, and beyond, the crevices, the nooks, the crannies, for a whopping 72 hours. As an OBGYN, Lumi's founder, Dr. Shannon Klingman, met thousands of women concerned with the odor below the belt, through clinical testing, she discovered it wasn't the vagina to blame. So stop with the sushi jokes. Stop with the trout jokes. Stop with the wharf jokes. Okay. But it's bacteria on the skin. So she created Lumi, a pH-optimized aluminum-free deodorant that actually works and works everywhere with over 150,000 five-star reviews to prove it. Clinically proven to block odor all day and control odor for up to 72 hours. Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant. I have it. I've been using the coconut one. Oh my God, it smells so good. Look at this. Look at this. I'm wearing a special tank top just to show you guys the deodorant. I'm putting it on my pits right now, but you got to put it like right below the tush. Sometimes I get that boob sweat. You put it kind of in the crevices, kind of next to the crevice. You know what I'm talking about. There's two other free products of your choice that come with it. This one, I have the body wash is what they sent me. And then these deodorant wipes. I go through a pack of these truly a day. I put it on the back of my neck, my lower back. You're gonna get free shipping uh, as a special offer for listeners. New customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code Whitney at Lumi, L-U-M-E, deodorant.com. That equates to over 40% off your starter pack when you visit lumideodorant.com and use the code WIT. I heard there was some guy that, you know, like Facebook memories. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Facebook memory. Like even Google photos has memories like, oh, 15 years ago, this is what you were doing. Halloween. Yeah, yeah. And someone, a guy, I'm sure it's happened more than once, but a guy got fired because his Halloween costume like popped up. I don't know if he was 
Native American, Indian, who knows what the hell it was. Um, but um, so it's kind of just showing like we're all imperfect, we're all flawed. And the fact that comedians are the ones that are leading the charge of like, you know, sanity in terms of, you know, being able to forgive yourself or forgive others, and whatever. And as human beings, yeah. And so it was like, I, I was always about, you know, just being comedians because I think the Comedy Central roast, they got really sideways when it was just like putting in random celebrities that were just there because they were famous. Like, you know, Pam Anderson, like, you know, I've that always ate me up that, that you know, and not, not that she can't do it. It just was, you know, I see it as like verbal MMA. The okay. roasts are like verbal MMA. And if you're putting heavyweights against featherweights, it's going to be nasty. Right, right. It's going to be cringy. It's right. just, you know, me posing against her in a swimsuit competition, that's going to be a little yeah, rough, it's too. it's going to be ugly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be brutal. <laughs> so same, same. And you could tell she was hurt. You could tell a lot of the people on it. It wasn't, you know the energy that we had at ours where right. it felt like all equals like you know everyone hit. was having a good time yeah yeah that was super good you know and so and i also had like don't 40 year old women aren't old let's not do guys with small dicks that's yeah. why they kill us let's just not to call men pedophiles for no reason because right. there actually are that you know and so to me it was like and it's about reinventing yourself and being like you know what i don't have to be the person i had to be forever yes i had 500 hair colors in the pandemic and everyone thought i was on fentanyl whatever like and I can just make fun of it and we can yeah. move on and I just like you not only being a you know close friend of mine but also what you've been through I'm like who deserves more of a opportunity <laughs> to show what they can do who's been like trapped like you know I remember thinking last time I met you being like you're still in prison in a lot of ways and it yeah. just drives me nuts and I felt like this would be such a great opportunity to show because you're so effervescent and funny and quick and I'm like but I only see you when you're having to be somber and talk thing. about all yeah. this stuff, you know? So it was like, was it fun? Was it weird? Oh my was God. it scary? I was so fucking thrilled that you let me be a part of it because one, I love comedy. Um, I use comedy a lot to just like grapple with the existential crisis of being a human being in the world um, and the absurdity of the world that so often we, are, we encounter. And instead of taking it all super seriously, we can also just shake it off mm -hmm. and have a laugh. So I find it really therapeutic. But what often happens is when I try to share like a quip or make a joke about something, very often people get really offended just because it's coming from me. And they associate me with tragedy, with something yeah. very serious. And they tell me that I'm not allowed to make jokes because in their minds, I live in this world of true crime, and therefore there's nothing to joke about. And one, there's always something to joke about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And two, um, I don't live inside someone else's head. I live in my own life and in my own head, and I'm processing my experience in my own way, and I am entitled to do that. So I feel like you giving me that opportunity was insane first of all I feel really really lucky um I know that there are many people who would have loved that opportunity and so I'm super super grateful to you it's actually really inspired me to want to do do more so that makes me we so should happy. chat about that but yeah it's like being able the only to... problem <laughs> what is that ugh, the sick irony is that when you go on stage and make people laugh <laughs> It's called murdering or killing. <laughs> I know. That's, I know. And then I'm drinking this liquid death and it's like, murder your thirst. And it's like, everyone's throwing around murder. So, and it's like, yep, liquid death. In comedy, it's the most horrific thing. And, you know, and it's in, in comedy, like 
I've always thought, oh, she belongs with us, you know, um, because, you know, comedians, it's, it's, we're in this wild time where comedians are getting, and I, we don't have to talk about me, like come for me as much as you want. Like I, I'll be fine. But you know, it's so fascinating when people like comedians that come from tragedy and trauma, right. And they're all depressed <laughs> and suicidal and you're like, kind of. And then, you know, two minutes later, they're like, you're punching down, you're causing violence. Like comedians are bullies. And you're just like, pick a lane. Like people can't make up their minds with us. And especially with female comedians. We're like the, I always say the most hated species of, of women on the planet because it's like, you know, it's, it's, I think people feel very safe being able to be rough with us because they assume we're tougher than everyone. We're stronger than everyone. We do, you know, and I think people kind of do that with you too, where they're sort of like, it's like, what made you think that Amanda Knox can just take anything? What made you think that like more lashings need to be taken? Like Mm -hmm. what made you think that I, and how to like, I need to be put in my place. Like what is the place that you think I need to be put? Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) You were on vacation in Italy for four months, just living the Vita Loca. And so, um, you know, and I also think that, that, that being perceived publicly in any way as sexual and being either unapologetic about it or, you know, as comedians, you always, as female comedians, you, uh, this is a generalization, but you tend to start talking about sex. It's something that relates to everyone. It's something that, I mean, that's something you bring up with your roast in your roast. It's like, if ever, if the only reason anyone wants to talk to you is because they want to fuck you, then yeah, you're going to end up talking about sex a lot. (laughs) What do you you want me to talk about politics? I know you love it when women do that at 24. It's the only thing I knew about. And it's the thing that caused me the most stress and shame. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to me, comedy is very much of a shame release. And it's like people put shame on me all day and then I got to go on stage and like release it all you know and so um I just think you have so much to say you're I mean I you know look as someone that was worked really really hard to get you know funny it's it it really watching you just going like to be able to alchemize and sublimate trauma into into this was well it helped that you like helped write the jokes (laughs) 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 you guys I mean you still you know it was. <laughs> there, there are like, you am I allowed to say that? I just read your. I read your inner monologue. I hacked your texts with your husband, and yeah. just, you know. But it was just so. Um, it was so. You know, I forgot. I think how you know people that have trauma can can just more easily if you choose humor. You know, you're just gonna be funnier, and it's just like a, a, a weird gift that came from your nightmare. Oh, yeah. Choosing choosing to be grateful, choosing to find the absurdity in this situation. You you asked me a question earlier about um, what do I think about human nature? Mm-hmm. And especially in these like authority figures who are just committing all of these wrongs. And like one of the things that I've learned is that people who are in these positions of power and in positions of authority believe they're a certain kind of person. And so they're incapable of doing something wrong. And mm. that puts someone like me in the position of feeling incredibly gaslit and it's so it's like it's so absurd that it becomes funny and Mm. like you're you you see the world in this like really really clear way of like oh my god you're just like you just and I get it we all want to be good people we all like have our good intentions we and all of that and it's it's just like because you've never asked yourself am I wrong about this? I'm now forcing somebody into this box that I've built for them, this cage that I've built for them. And I'm telling them that they're the ones who built the cage. Like it's, it's, and it's just, it's so dumb. 
It's like so gaslighty that it's funny. And when you, because you, what else are you going to do if you'll blow your brains out if you don't yeah. laugh about it? It's like laughter is just like yeah. a tension release. And it's just, and I feel like so many people are sleeping on the medicine of laughter because they're so, and I need to take myself seriously. Like, what are you doing? Kids no. are eating Tide Pods and f- be, 380 people have died taking selfies falling off a cliff. Like, it's awful, <laughs> but you just have, it's, you have to laugh. You have to. What else is there? It's all, then yeah. all, you'll never stop crying. And something you just said about like people want to be good or whatever and I think people associate good with being right but this day and age how can anyone be right like I am so my new kink is saying I don't know mm, I never thought hot. that was in dude I say it never again. thought say it that. Again. I don't I don't, <laughs> I, was like, I don't have enough information to Oof. be able to have an opinion yet do you know what I mean <laughs> Like, Whitney, I know. It's just Whitney, like, we can't do this, Amanda. Jeez. As soon as you start doing comedy, you're a lesbian. That's how it works. It's always what happens. You're almost wearing shoulder pads in that Um But it's just, how would I know? Like, how, and also, like, I, I have a couple phrases now because I find myself always feeling like I need to have an opinion. You know, there's this pressure now. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, and you know, I don't have enough information to weigh in yet. I don't have enough information. And then when people want to gossip about somebody, because gossip is another thing that really I find. Well, it communes us. We can all just use that person as something that gets us closer. And we don't get we the, feel better the about serotonin ourselves? from it. It mm-hmm. bonds us. It also gives you a little hit of, you know, judging people. But I know what's, ha- it's just, it makes me feel, I'm, at this point, I know I'm going to feel like shit after. It makes me feel dirty. It makes me feel gross. But I can always just say, like, I don't know enough about this person to be able to weigh in. And I see people kind of go, like, oh, you're not taking the Wait, bait what? and just talking what? shit. But then they go, like, oh, that's an option. The people that I have the most respect for say, I don't know. I the, the um, Grace, who you met, who works with me now as a producer, the second day on the job when she was my assistant – she, I don't know what was happening. She had to maybe stop and get something. And I was like, oh, did you get the thing? And she's like, I, I forgot. And I was like, I'm promoting you. Yeah. Because you just said you forgot. You didn't make up some lie. You weren't filled with shame. It, she's German, too. Um, <laughs> That'll do it. That'll do it. it. And I was like, thank you. So- that, like, just seeing someone say, I forgot. Yep. Instead of, oh, no, um, I got that. They're running li- just some bullshit nonsense. And right. if she doesn't know something, she'll be like, I don't know. And I'm like, I would have thought I would have gotten fired if I said I didn't know something. Right. I thought I would be less than. I would be stupid something. The smartest people say, I don't fucking know. How would I? Well, some people do get fired for doing that. And I think that's the problem is we're incentivizing people in the wrong way. Same thing with the criminal justice system. Same thing with, like, even in medical diagnoses, I think. Like, people want to say, like, I remember when Eureka was born, um, they told us that she was, um, she had this like horrible debilitating disease. Did I tell you about that? Okay. So I have nightmares about this. uh, From the way I remember it is you saying she has this horrible like brain eating degenerative disease or it's just rosacea. Yeah, or it's just a skin condition. So just watch her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so we're going to put her in an MRI machine when she's not even a day old. And we're going to, like, plug, you know, things on her head. And you have to come back in two months and do the, like, we're going to strobe light her to see if she has crazy seizures. And I remember yeah. thinking, because this was so, ha- I called a couple friends of mine to ask about this because I was like, 
I think we're taking legal action. Like I never <laughs> think like that because I was like, I cannot think of a more stressful thing. Not that you're not going to be watching your baby anyway, but to like, I think it was like, look for signs to see if anything's oh, yeah. off. She's a baby. Yeah. She's just a w- little worm. And like Chris was sitting there holding her being like, okay, is she, ha- is she just sort of like twitching in her sleep or is she having a seizure? I don't know. I don't know. Like, and what am I creating that wasn't there in the first place? Because I'm stressing out about this thing. Yeah, that it may I'm, or may I'm not crying be. every day for the first two months of my child's life. Oh, wait, it's just a skin condition <laughs> that I find out six months later. So can I ask you about that? Because I was thinking this must be because I find more and more when I go to the doctor, they have to do, run the game. Do you think it's because of so many malpractice lawsuits or how litigious people are that they just have to cover all their bases? Probably. Um, yeah, I think they probably are taking the tack of we're going to give you the bad news. And if it comes out better than that, you're going to be grateful instead of psychologically, you're go- we're going to tell you it's okay. And then it turns out not okay. And then you're going to, you know, file lawsuits against us. That would be my guess. I because, don't actually yes, she know. will have a brain condition if her mom is crying over her crib for the first two years. Yeah, I'm like breastfeeding her. It's like weeping. <laughs> so I don't know. It's Was there anything that you learned in the um, the birth of the process of Eureka that you will apply to the second of we oh, will do this, we won't do this in terms of birth plan, stuff like that? You know, we deep dived um, into this on our podcast um tell us the name of it labyrinths nice oh you labyrinth. did oh, but you did uh, you did um because is that a separate baby podcast or it's within no labyrinth? it's just like a mini series nice. of the podcast and nice. um we deep dived into all of that Great. i think one thing that we it's so it's so funny we spent so much time trying to like understand genetic testing and everyone was like you don't need to do genetic testing you don't need to do genetic testing and the second she's born they're like she has this horrible genetic mutation <laughs> and we were like Okay, but then they were also like, no one would have tested for it, so we wouldn't have known and anyway. What you and have I'm done? like, what? Aborted it? You know, like, what are you? I mean, if it's early enough and you find out that there's like this horrible, debilitating, brain eating genetic mutation, then they yeah. can just be an actor. <laughs> <laughs> she would, she would have plenty of jobs in Hollywood. <laughs> I'll hire her right now. <laughs> she could run a studio. <laughs> <laughs> she could be my agent. <laughs> Can I ask you about the panic attacks? Yeah, sure. This is not something that I I relate to, but I feel like people throw this around a lot. People mm. throw around. I get panic attacks. I get panic attacks. And it's like that's I don't... fair. Also, people are like, I'm allergic to things, and it's like, are you, or do you just get a tummy tickle, or do you? Just are you gonna die, need or? <laughs> or are you just difficult? Yeah, I know. I think it's just your personality. <laughs> I think you're, this is Darwinism. You're not fit. You gotta go. (laughs) Okay, so you want to know about panic attacks. Yes, because I think a lot of people think they're having them. And I'm like, no, that's just being a person in the world. I think there's also this kind of war on anxiety where people are like, I get anxiety. It's like, yeah, there's debilitating anxiety where you can't get out of bed. But a little anxiety is good. It it helps you get out of a bad relationship. It helps you realize you need to, you know, listen to your gut. This is all information that your body is telling you for survival. Yes. And then I see people that are like, I have anxiety. And they're on, they're going on antidepressant. They go on, you know, some things. Well, now you're really you know gonna atrophy your ability to tolerate discomfort and listen to your gut so I, I just think it's such an important thing to I am a hoarder of th- this company's product now it's called fast growing trees okay breathe some life into your own backyard with fastgrowingtrees.com this spring I am so obsessed with this company you can order trees for your yard you don't have to go to the freaking 
nursery and fight with a bunch of people over one avocado bud that's going to dry up and be a mess. Okay, I'm totally replanting my backyard because in California, there's no water left. I'm not sure if you noticed. Thanks, Gavin. From shade to fresh fruit to privacy and all kinds of natural beauty, all kinds of flora. Okay, let fastgrowingtrees.com help you plant your dream garden with their expert advice and fast, reliable shipping. Fastgrowingtrees.com, their plant experts <laughs> curate thousands of easy to grow plant, shrub, and tree varieties for your unique climate. Meyer lemons, which I just ordered. I got lemons. I got, I think, tangelos. Uh, I don't know if this will get us demonetized, but I got kumquats. So excited. An avocado tree. Anyway, you can get evergreens. Everything in between. Happy plants, happy home, right? Sometimes it's hard to know which plants are going to do best. That's no problem over here because with fastgrowingtrees.com, you get customized recommendations based on your specific needs. And I need marijuana plants. I don't think they sell those. I'm just kidding. JK, JK. I just do the poppies and NyQuil. Plus, their plant experts are always available to help keep your plants growing healthy through the season and beyond. No more waiting in long lines, hauling heavy plants around. With fastgrowingtrees.com, you order online and your plants arrive at your door in just a few days. It's so wild. I was worried they, like most places, they'd show up all dead and ratchet. My God, they were lush. And with Fast Growing Trees, 30-day alive and thrive guarantee, you'll know everything will look great, fresh out of the box. Join over 1.5 million happy Fast Growing Tree customers. Go to fastgrowingtrees.com slash Whitney now to get 15% off your entire order. Get 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com slash Whitney. Uh, fast Growing Trees from Fast Talking Tees. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, the thing that really distinguishes between I'm having an anxiety moment and I'm having a panic attack moment is whether or not I can breathe. Mm. Um, I, I get a lot of pressure, especially on my chest, and it makes it really, really difficult for me to breathe. Like, I'll, I'll try getting hyper- fake tits. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Never. These are like so big right now that I can't stand them. So, um, like <laughs> me either. Um, but can I ask you, is it, is there's a certain trigger that you can, that is kind of consistent? It's just looking at Twitter. Um, trigger.com. Uh, yeah. No, <laughs> trigger.com. Um, I try to stay off of, uh, social media as much Watching as possible. Watching me on Kimmel. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the thing that I, that, bothers me the most is when I feel like someone is not being honest with me. Mm. So the the whole gaslighting thing again, like I've been gaslit to fucking hell. Yeah. I know what it looks like. And when it's happening to me, I, I go into a bad place. And like, I understand why people are not always totally honest with other people or they become defensive or whatever it is. Like I totally get it. And at the same time, when it's happening to me, it's really hard especially when it's someone close to me, I it's really hard for me to, in the moment, just accept it for what it is and give it the space that it needs in order to unravel. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to, when I feel like someone is not being honest with me. Because and then you I have say, to enter into their bullshit. And then you're like, why are you making me act and do bad improv? Why are you making me, do you think that it comes from someone that thinks you're fragile and they have to be, because that drives me nuts. Okay, so here's the thing. I've had multiple people tell me that they have to walk on eggshells around me. 
And I've you been do like, make shakshuka a lot. <laughs> I think they're literal eggshells. It's so good. <laughs> um, but it's like, no, I, I, I've, I'm just letting you know that like a thing happened and this is how I feel about it. And now we can move on together with that knowledge. And instead I'm told, well, basically it's like your feelings are unreasonable and I'm not going to like acknowledge or accept your feelings about whatever it is that may have taken place. And I'm like, of all the people in the world, like mm-hmm. I am actually the least person that you have to walk on eggshells around because I am super tolerant of everything. But yeah. if something does bother me, I'm not going to be weird and passive aggressive about it. I'm not going to be conflict avoidant. Mm. I'm just going to let you know. Yeah. And then and then you can do with that what you want. Mm-hmm. And I'll get over it no matter how you respond to it. But like, just don't tell me that it didn't happen. So I this happened when my mom died in in December and she was in a bed for 11 years. She had mm. had a stroke. It was like Ugh. I had grief. I, I feel in a weird way lucky that I got to grieve in like increments, mm. whereas I see so many people that just lose a parent suddenly. And it's just like you didn't get to say I love you. You didn't get to say I, I got to say everything I needed to say. I got to show her the kind of woman that she made. You know, I got to. That's like, a really positive way of looking at that. Good yeah, for you. It's, you know, my mom had a lot of I was able to forgive her before she passed. I was able to, you know caretaking her I was you know I spent 10 years in hospitals when I was on tour I'd go from hospital to hospital it made me a very competent person it's like I see it as all the ways she wasn't able to parent me as a child and give me the skills I needed her being in hospitals and nursing homes like that gave it to me so it was a it was an unfortunate way that she put me in situations where I was able to become a competent person I'm talking to doctors all day you know I had to start learning about neuroscience I ended up incorporating that into my work I made a movie about it like it kind of like you know, even though it was unfortunate, I was able to, you know, sublimate it into something that made me stronger. The ways that she couldn't make me strong on her own. This her- came, this got into the female brain? That's why I, oh. I wrote in the first place, because oh, both my parents had strokes, and I'm 27 years old. Doctors are like, here's the where the the bleed is in the hippocampus, and I don't know what the fuck they're saying. They're right. speaking, you know, Latin, and I'm like, they're asking, I have, I'm power of attorney, so I have to make all these huge decisions. I have no idea what's happening. And then you know, their personalities change a little bit based on where the bleed is. So I'm trying to learn about, you know, what's going on. And um, and then I got kind of obsessed. I discovered that uh, a book called The Female Brain and about sort of the differences between the male and female brain. I know we don't believe in gender anymore, but there is some that can be very helpful just in terms of a lot of the ways that, that women and men too, men are, men are stereotyped too. We call them stupid. Like that's, you know, men are objectified too. Like women are objectified. Yeah, we send men to war just to die. You yep. Know? So, um... Uh, I, uh, for so long, you know, was told like, you're crazy, you're psycho, whatever. And then you're like, oh, wait a second. This is just adrenaline and cortisol. And my amygdala didn't develop proper neural pathways with my hippocampus and frontal lobe because I was so adrenalized my whole, you know, just learning it helped me have more patience with myself and not just accept Mm. this narrative. You know, women are crazy. Women are psycho. It's like, well, we're wired to have to protect you know babies in the woods mm-hmm. in the dark with no street lights so yeah we're a little hyper vigilant you know <laughs> in the in the you know new who's texting you used to be what's that noise yes. is that a lion you know so it's we're sort of over evolved for to live in a very dangerous environment but now we you know they comes out other ways um and so um what am I saying? So, oh, so she passes away. I had a lot of notice. Um, it was almost like Groundhog Day. Like every day, this is the day. She's going to be, you know, she'd be always in and out of the Oof. ER. And I couldn't convince people I was okay. Like hmm. it was this, 
I had people showing up at my house, like we're because I was like actually in a weird way. It was kind of freeing. Hmm. She wasn't suffering anymore. I didn't have to see her in this. You know, there's a big uh, people don't talk a lot about like sick parents, and I think most people can't afford the. You know, the nursing homes are so so, so expensive. expensive. Not only so expensive, also people that work there are underpaid. Her teeth weren't being taken care. It was like she had infections in her mess. So I had to go brush her teeth. I had to go do a lot of the stuff, you know. And um, there was, and I think it was the secondhand embarrassment and shame, like no one really tells you about, you know, mm-hmm. like having to parent your parent. Yep, is all around just. And, um, and we get like weirdly like, oh my god, it's gross. Like their body and like it's 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 decomposing in front of my eyes and like I don't know how to deal with that and am I allowed to touch that and like it, they're yeah. literally in diapers yeah they become children and the roles completely reverse yeah. and you know it's I think that for the most part our life expectancy used to be so we it's just very it, it's new that we get to that point you mm. know and so um so there was a weird I was actually kind of relieved and then uh I in relieved that I didn't have to see her suffer anymore and that we weren't just in this because she was she got to the point a couple of years ago where she was like, please kill me. I mean, it was yeah. like, it was so hard. And um, I was sneaking her weed tincture and like, That's nice. because most, uh, you know, most patients, I guess, are, are they're given a Moxycontin and all this shit that just makes them zombies. You know, yeah. they just don't want to deal. They just want to sedate them. And so in January, I almost like went through like a mania in a way because I had so much energy and bandwidth because I wasn't in this constant you know, I didn't have this Damocles sword hanging of like, what's it going to be this week? And, you know, and she would sort of, because of the stroke had, it was almost like an OCD compulsion. She'd call me 50 times, you know, she just was lonely and, you know, just the stress of, am I being a good enough daughter, whatever. And I all of a sudden had this like, and so many people were like, you're, you need to see someone, you need to, people tried to put me on Seroquel, which is this like sedative, like, I was like, I'm it's a big the step. happiest I've ever <laughs> been since she's been, you know, because I don't have to think about her suffering and I can now like kind of enjoy her more now knowing, you know, and gave her this in- incredible hospice. Like, I mean, we went out by the ocean and, you know, I didn't like push her. I, I didn't just, <laughs> hold on, I didn't roll. I, there was a house. She was like, yeah, I just started jump, jump push. That's what they you. do in a lot of cultures. They're actually mentioned in Hunt Gather Parent, by the way. This is a book that I, I, I I'm obsessed with it. It's like changed my life. Anyway, will I'll you tell say, you about yeah, it. let's talk about that in one second because um, um, I started listening to it just because I think it's never to whether you have a kid or not. Like reading about parenting stuff, it's just like it, honestly, it's like let me allowed me to understand how to manage just people in general because people are just fucking children. That's right. So anyway, we're all five. We're yeah. just tall kids. I mean, I feel like you're an expert in managing people anyway, but like that's, the- <laughs> to me, uh, to, it, that's why I love having moms on sets working because when someone has a tantrum, which usually comes from f- someone feeling insecure or criticized or, you know, people's brains are wired differently, differently. And there's a lot, everyone's, everyone's just trying hard. And if they feel criticized, neglect, whatever, something falls through the cracks and, and, you know, we kind of just recreate our childhood circumstances on a set. You know, I become people's moms or their ex-wife or whatever the fuck. <laughs> we all just pro- like projection festival. And um, moms, when people start fighting or freaking out are just like, do you need some water? Do you yep. need a snack? Yeah. Do you want to break off nap? and take a nap? Nap. It's yeah. naps. We're yeah. not like, you're a fire fuck, you know? So it's like, I've just learned <laughs> so much from moms and it's the, sa- it's the same as, again, anger is just sadness. Like someone's feeling criticized or rejected you yep. know and it's kind of that simple so for me when someone's upset I usually the first thing I do is sit down so mm-hmm. that I'm lower than them mm. and just fucking listen mm-hmm. most people just like need to be heard mm-hmm. and you just and then also, and that's enough that's honestly just enough just be like okay I exist 
I'm a person in front of you. That I'm sounds existing. hard. <laughs> and then instead of going, well, here's what we're going to do. Just be like, what do you think the solution should be? Yeah. And usually they're like, well, I, I just, I just think, you know, I'm, I'm good. And you're like, yeah. it just needed to be heard. Yep. It's like Valerie Cherish in the comeback, my favorite show ever. She was always like, I just need to know I'm being heard. And, um, you know, and yeah, getting like lower than them and just like softening your voice and just because so much of the communication is nonverbal. And yeah. then someone usually is feeling criticized. And then if they come to you because they need something, you're like, well, I think you're overreacting. To, they're just you're just exacerbating. Yeah. It. yeah. No, you're making it worse. You know, just like and sit, listen, appreciate. Move that on. sounds hard. Tell me more about that. What could we do to make this, you know, smoother? Just asking them questions, mm -hmm. you know, and that's, I think, I think, yeah, I think a lot of people, you know, leadership is, is a tricky thing because I think a lot of people think they need to be like dominating and they, you know, but like the alpha sleeps, the alpha allows other people, you know, oh, yeah. also let people figure stuff out. Oh yeah, you know, absolutely. Like, and you don't need to overreact. Like I was going to say the the sort of lesson from the Inuits and they're definitely not going to attack you for calling them and they Eskimo. send their elders out on an ice float to die. <laughs> Okay, I'm not kowtowing on y'all's integrity here. <laughs> but like the thing that they do is it's like like temper tantrums, like toddler tantrums don't exist there because it's like they're freezing. You, well, it's they're, you're modeling behavior like the idea that a human like an adult human would have a tantrum is just absurd to them. Funny. Like that some like an adult would raise their voice at a child because like the child is misbehaving is like it just doesn't compute like culturally wow. it's like that's a dumb thing to do because that human being doesn't know how to like be a person yet they're that's still figuring it do. out children have children tantrum, so exactly so if you're a child yeah you'll have a tantrum but then you as the adult are going to model the behavior which is not having a tantrum and the idea that an adult would have a tantrum is just like as someone that Uncalled. was around you know adults that cried and had big feelings and had tantrums I remember like I remember very few things from my childhood but the things I remember crystal clear I remember seeing uh my mom cry and mm. have my went watch divorce fighting t furniture back and forth you know just really acrimonious shit and I remember going I'm the I remember thinking like I'm the adult yeah this is I don't get to do that. Yep. I never cried. I never had shit because I was like, these are the children and I'm the adult. Yep. I remember it. I would walk to school. I would make my lunch. I caught on fire because I stood on top of the stove. I was like trying to cut. Like I just was like, I'm on my own. And I think when children see adults acting like children, that's the natural like default. Yeah. Like, how am I going to rely on these people? That or they think that the only way to interact with the world is by having tantrums. And I think that that is to me like the lowest form of trying to get some kind of power or something because it's like you're trying to cry or show that you're vulnerable so the other person pities you so that you get what you want or you're not in control of your emotions, which is like how can I have any respect for you if you can't control your emotions? And yeah, I think like as someone who is not always the best at controlling one's emotions, I do appreciate when someone has patience with me, but also it's not an excuse. It's not like just because you're crying doesn't mean you're right. <laughs> you can say, I mean, there's again tools that I have that are like when I find myself, tr trust me, around January, February, March, when I was, because the grief did come, the anger came. I had a lot of anger come up mm. after my, my mom died because I was angry that I had lost my whole kind of half of my 20s and 30s to sick parents. Yeah. The anger of like, why the fuck didn't you guys take care of yourselves? Right. Why did you have strokes without health insurance? Strokes, the most preventable fucking thing on the planet. You could have just gotten blood med pressure medication. I come from the generation of, of people that go like, I don't want to go to the doctor because I don't want to know. Yeah. And so to me, I truly feel like 
if you want to be a parent at some point, it starts now. Because if you're not taking care of yourself now, your children are going to have to take care of you when they're in their 20s and 30s. And that is so fucking unfair. So I just was like angry that I didn't get to have like fun in my late 20s and 30s. And I was paying for their care. And I was like fucking working my ass off doing like weird corporate gigs for like businessmen in fucking Park City to pay oh, for sure that was fun. Bill, look, a blast. Um, the Saudis love me. Um, I do very well in Dubai. Um uh, and so I was just so resentful and I didn't realize how much anger I had. Hmm. And I think that I did use humor to cope so much that I, I, um, I did never feel the anger. And I realized like, I, I have to get angry. And Rick Rubin actually wrote a book. Um, and one of the exercises he has in it about creativity is just, it sounds ridiculous and it's embarrassing, but what's more embarrassing than not being able to control your temper? Cause some old, if it's hysterical, it's historical shit comes up. You punch a pillow <laughs> for five minutes straight and it's exhausting Mm -hmm. and something about exhausting yourself that much and even emulating anger that you might not even have it's like Mm. you know when they say like that scream therapy or whatever they do yeah 100 percent. yeah and the smashing stuff therapy which i actually wrote in a have you ever seen those like rage rooms i've seen them in like shows but (laughs) so i wanted i wrote as a cold open for a pilot once about this character was based on me um and uh just my you know whatever neurosis and it's um she goes into a rage room and people are watching and there's like glass and it's you know it's tvs and vcrs and old bookcases it's just a bunch of like trash you know and you basically go and you just like smash it and people are watching like her two friends and they're like wincing and like oh god like watching my character in the rage room and then i come out and then you reverse and she's just organized all of it perfectly (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she's like I feel so much better oh, thank you ooh. oh my god it, feels, it was a mess in there <laughs> feels so much better double Virgo over here that's all I really needed there's also have you ever seen the scream painting the yeah the the one where they they're going the like drawn out face with the long oh yeah. yes yeah, oh my yeah. gosh you're, you're too erudite for me um uh yes that's the the monk painting but I'll send it to you it's this guy it's um he's painting as he screams and he's just like <sighs> I'll send it to you. It's so. Did he have a video of yeah, this? Because that was... sounds exhausting. <laughs> I hope it's... it's a very small canvas. It's... <laughs> <laughs> By the way, it looks nothing different than regular. <laughs> yeah, he's just like. <sighs> Like, how did you make the most soothing activities so pugnacious for no reason? But uh, and I'm punching this pillow and punching this pillow, and I just started sobbing, mm. and then. It's hard to make yourself cry if you've spent most of your life trying to not cry. Yeah. Trying not to be vulnerable in front of other people. Yeah. And then you're like, well, I guess I just need to cry. I need to grieve. And you're Mm -hmm. like, how? I don't know how to do this. Like, I've I've mastered the art of just, you know. Um, uh, And and then you write out everything you're angry about. Mm. And I could not believe the kind of stuff that was coming out. It's very, like... It's it's almost like a Ouija board, like, just starts coming out. The things I was angry at was so things I haven't thought about in years. There was something about the anger just like unlocking all the things I had repressed that I was pissed off about. I literally got to like sun in the hair stuff. You know, remember sun in? Yeah, absolutely. It, I was like, my hair was orange. It was supposed to be blonde. <laughs> there was a lot of stuff. I have an older sister who's blonde and there was a lot of like, I'm angry I wasn't blonde. Like I was yeah. like, what the fuck? That's a weird. God, I love it. So it's so funny. I love journaling. So I've been doing this practice of trying to do um, three pages of journaling a day like you just give yourself 
Hmm. However much time it takes, but like you just do it. You just do, you don't stop. It's almost like stream of conscious, three pages, fill three pages. And I'm constantly surprised by how much stuff I'm pissed off about that just comes out that I'm like, I didn't even know I was pissed off about that. I hate journaling. This is so (laughs) fucking boring. Yeah. (laughs) Like, and it just, it just practices the, I think, art of processing something Mm -hmm. as soon as you feel it. Mm -hmm. And then putting it out. And so you don't like have it weirdly harboring inside of you and becoming a weird resentment that came out of nowhere while you're having lunch with your husband. Like I think we just on a, uh, like have just there's so much coming at us all the time to be pissed off about, and we just have to compartmentalize. Don't have time to be upset about. Yep. Don't, and then we go numb. But I think to me that's how I actively resist going numb is like I'm pissed about this all these feelings are valid you wouldn't tell Mm -hmm. a child if a child was like I'm upset that you know this is you wouldn't go like shut up put that away you'd be like oh let's solve that let's talk through that but as adults we're just like no time yeah get over it get over it get over it and I think that the word empath I think is so overused but I think that you know when you're the type of person where things hurt Mm -hmm. like I struggle being in New York because in airports because you just feel people's stuff Mm -hmm. like you feel their pain you feel you know and I um I really I feel like I take on that and then you know another tool that's really helped me in addition um to writing you know just writing stuff out with no judgments I used to really have so much perfectionism of like I couldn't jerk this is so embarrassing (laughs) but that's what we do on this podcast um uh I used to really struggle journaling because I always was like someone's gonna read this one day yeah (laughs) so I'd be like I hear you it is so hard, you know, like... Like, I need to write with my perfect cursive Ryan writing. Reynolds keeps calling, and I just... I don't know if I'm interested. You know what I mean? I just would be like, I wanted the handwriting to be perfect. I wanted it to be, like, the perfect journal, you know? Well, you know, we did that to actual people in the past. Like, people have just been like, oh, yeah, this guy's letters that were totally meant to be Dude, private. like, I mean, Apatow obviously was really good friends with Gary Shandling, but it was, like, all his journals. I was like, whoa, my God, is somebody go through my journals one day? This is my, like, nightmare. So I was, like, trying... I've been cutting, pasting stuff out of like teenage magazines of like cute little outfits in my freaking journal like I'm don't like look at that harry styles and i on top of a wedding cake together this is not okay they're gonna i'm gonna lose custody of my kids one day if someone finds this you know and i would like start it and then i would rip the pad but then i start over mm-hmm. i think also something that a big mistake i made with journaling is i started doing it on the computer I was like, I'm going to type out my journal and da da da. Such a bad. No. I think it's about like the magic of what comes out of it. And just- then you put it away. Yeah. No, but I, I'm definitely with you. Like, I've absolutely started journal entries being like, I swear I'm not an angry person. <laughs> I swear I'm actually really happy and like these are the things like I'm gonna have like I'm gonna tell I'm gonna go out of my way all the things I'm grateful for but then let me just you know if you put a little gold gold flakes in a man's coffee it'll kill him instantly I know I'm just like this feels like future evidence in a court case like this I can't admit that you know I can't admit this to myself I can't say this out loud and that's what you're supposed to do because I feel like just this it really helped me combat my perfectionism and also something that, that really really helped me because you know whether this isn't it is what it is it works for me to say like my inner child you know if I'm having a a bad reaction to something if I'm crying it's like obviously it could be about the situation at hand you know but chances are it's something has activated some old feelings that I never felt or I felt like I wasn't allowed to feel right didn't want to have the big feelings like that were in my household I was like this is exhausting this is like not interested and um 
an inner child exercise. It's actually in the Adult Child of Alcoholics book, which is a program that I'm in, which is, it's not that you're an alcoholic, you don't say your parents are an alcoholic, for alcoholism to be present, alcohol doesn't have to be present, it's any kind of compulsive behavior that's not a choice. Our, you know, whether our parents were actually drinking, which most were, like, that was the Mad Men generation. This is like the first generation that isn't having three martinis at lunch, you know, we're having three edibles at lunch now, um, or we're on our phones at lunch. It looks, yeah. addictions look different the phones. now. That's, you know, and so, um, the inner child exercise, which is you in your right hand, you ask your child a couple questions. You can literally say everything from, what do you want to eat today? What do you want to do this weekend? Mm. Um, you know, what's, who's your best friend? And then you, uh, well, you write that in your dominant hand. Right. And then you respond in your non-dominant hand. Fascinating. And it's an incredible exercise that has like changed my life because you go like, oh, my best friend is this person and this person and you're an adult. And then you write in your child and all of a sudden it's like, Someone you're like, it's my dog. <laughs> Truly. Well, that is the truth. Um, and or it's someone that you like don't really see that much. You're like, why don't I see that person more? But, like, but I obviously care about them. Wow, but like a safe awesome. person that's like maybe not someone you work with because we're so like, I need to get this work done. This person, you know, whatever. This is a person that fits in my life right now. Whatever. And you're like, yeah, let me reach out to that person from high school that I had such a great, you know, or um, you know, it's like, what do you want to eat today? The adult's going to go, I need to eat this and this, and I have to have the kale, and I have to this, and, and, and mine is always peanut butter and jelly. I'm like, why don't I just make myself a fucking peanut butter and jelly sandwich? What is, why am I hurt, torturing myself with, <laughs> with these delicious I'm not going to say meals. prison food. Yeah, <laughs> these door dash Rude. deliveries. Yeah. But yeah, totally. I'm like, why am I, you know, like, and so it's something that's really helped because I think we forget to kind of nurture our inner child because especially as someone that I was like, so insecure about not being mature enough or not being adult enough, especially being mm. in a business where you can stay, you can Peter Pan through your whole, you can stay immature forever and it's actually rewarded by audiences. Right. Oh, you're a mess. Oh, you can't get it together. You can't ha, get it. Ha, 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 ha. And yeah. you're like, oh, like I should stay a mess. This is really working, you know? Right. So it's just like a good way to kind of like connect with sort of the, your more, um, not primary, you're more sort of I don't want to say childish. That's so ne I said the fact that childish is a negative adjective is so interesting because children are so much smarter. They're so much like when they're sad, they cry. When they want something, they ask. When they're sleepy, they sleep. At least can if I you ask, let them. Can I ask a couple things about that? And then I know yes. I have to let you go because you're going to you're on your own podcast con today. Um, <laughs> in terms of I see these parents that put their parent perfectionism on their kids. You have to sleep at this time, and I have a sleep schedule, and I have a this, and I blah, blah, blah. and mm -hmm. like it feels like you're really doing you know, allowing the kid to be a kid. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that part of the reason why, the, like, the schedule became such a sacred object in the parenting world um, is in large part because so many of us are slaves to the schedule that we're a part of. Yeah. And so we have to make our children a slave to a schedule so that we can function in the sure. world. Um, and I don't think that that actually is to the benefit of any of us. I don't think any of us are sleeping well. I don't think any of us yeah. are mentally healthy. And I, and so when it comes to me, I try to avoid having to live by schedules that exist in the outside industrialized world. Um, and in the same way, I want, I want Eureka and my children to, to feel what they need and to do what they need to do to get what they need. And so when she's hungry, she'll get food and when she's sleepy she'll sleep can I tell you one of the most and I won't say traumatic whatever I'm a white woman um so uh, uh you know I had the finish everything on your plate or you can't leave mm. 
finish that glass of milk. I didn't pour the glass of milk. Right. A glass of milk. I had that too. And yeah. And I did have really severe eating disorders. I know there's a lot of, Kate Moss was on the cover of every magazine growing up. I had sexual abuse. There was a lot of reasons that I'm sure I had the, the eating disorder stuff. But I look back at the, you can't leave until you finish everything on your plate. Right. It's, it's like, not about how you feel. It's not how food has, has like, have you enjoyed. I'm five. Like, yeah, I'm full. Yeah, I'm full. I'm ready to go. Also, yeah. I didn't make my plate. Yeah. If, if you're going to make me finish everything on my plate, can I at least make it? Because I know what I'm going to finish. Yeah. I remember sitting there chugging milk. Ugh. Just being like, the I can't. The milk thing, too. Just like, why do we need 20 ounces <clears throat> of milk at every Why meal. Why am I drinking <laughs> another species milk? I'm eight. It's just like your kink. You just want to watch a kid guzzle white oh, so stuff. Like I just and I remember and it's so thick. Because then I um you know, you know, eating disorders are very much about control. Mm. I, the only thing I can control is what's in my body. I can't control what's going on around me. I can't control getting attention. I can't control, you know, my circumstances. In an alcoholic home, you really can't control when you sleep. There's loud and you do fall. There's noises. You're scared at night, you know, that kind of thing. And it was sort of like it was the only thing I could control. Wow. And forcing kids to eat when they don't want to eat, I always think it's just so wild. And the other thing that I think is a lie is that kids need different food than adults do. Like, that's another lie that I've encountered where, like, mm. you have to get Feels like different... Gerber was pushing that. Yeah, Big Baby is yeah, a big thing. Big baby. big baby is definitely pushing that's a lot a of lies. Um, I have I've always just given Eureka what we were eating. And um, even when she didn't have teeth, I would just chew it for her and stick it in her mouth. Um, we're animals. Yeah, that's how we were meant to exist that like human beings have survived for <laughs> before Gerber yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and it's the dark simple. part of this is your child would be perfect on the cover of those babies I know you, do, you have a Gerber baby I know and I don't put her on the internet but like I've had people I've actually had a casting person like just happened to see her once and they were like uh, give uh, me that child <laughs> Like, I want to give you my job, but also I kind of don't want to give you my yeah, job. Like, uh, are you gonna turn her into a face cream? This is Hollywood. I would not get them involved. It is crazy. I mean, I gotta say, is my favorite movie being Labyrinth, which you all, of course, know. It does haunt me a little bit because I do rewatch it quite often, and. Uh, Toby, the baby, is crying the whole movie. And as an adult, you look back and you're like, uh, <laughs> how did they shoot this scene? I mean, yeah, no, I, I feel you. I, I'm, I don't think I, if I were ever to um, put my ridiculously beautiful baby in any kind of professional capacity, it mm. would be for like the shortest commercial ever. And mm. it would be the only thing that I, I would ever have her do. And then I would give her all the money that ever came from it. Yeah. And it's like... Th- yeah, I mean, it's uh, that you put it in a trust or yeah, put it in like something. That. And when she's like, how could you have put me? You're like, eh? eh? Do you have a condo or do you eh? have a condo? <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, because of that, you got to sleep whenever you wanted. So we didn't have to have a sleep schedule for you. I mean, there was, I've worked on things where there's a baby on set. And I'm like, can't we just get a Toys R Us? Like, we're not <laughs> zooming in on that. We don't care, you know. And they'd be like, get the Benadryl. And you're like, what? Whoa. They would put whiskey on there and gums was the whole thing. It's, it's, when you look back, you're, you're like, the like, baby is being too much of a baby. I need to de yeah, baby. I mean, imagine baby. a baby just in, I mean, I would have been in heaven uh, uh, <laughs> around all the Jim Henson 
goblins just like man, man. <laughs> you were what babe? The babe with that like just like David Bowie's cod piece like flopping around, and the baby's just like ah, like and you see it. You, that baby is that's it's been crying for a while. Oh my god! They're like the <laughs> goblin continuity issue. Take again. I mean, I'm sure, and you've seen that movie. They were all on yeah. LSD, dude. They were just like, that's not a real baby, is it? Um, <laughs> so when you look back, it's please someone. tell me that's a Muppet. <laughs> but I'm also kind of babies in movies, toddlers. They don't really know what they're yeah. doing. But I think it's odd that child labor is illegal yet child acting is a thing i just think it's odd when you're 10 to 18 you should you know what i mean like i i hear you i why? i mean and i'm not like i don't even know exactly what it's like to be on set like you know this way better than i do but it does sound like it's long hours Look, and a lot of pressure i've said it every episode and i'll say it again uh this is a business built on the back of a five-year-old toddler named shirley temple and I, my whole th- cause is justice for Shirley Temple. Because if she was starring in movies at four, that means they cast it at two, shot it at three. Like, and if she got the job, that means like a hundred other toddlers auditioned and they went like too ugly. No. Ugh. Costume fittings for and the then like dance monkey dance dance monkey dance. Not Ugh. there's not a mom in the movie. There's no <clears throat> babysitter. There's no stepmom. She's just at war with soldiers. Like I age when I, I I sometimes like really get in a wormhole and I just she's in blackface in one of the movies like Justin Trudeau level blackface oh, and no. no one's mad. It drives me <laughs> fucking nuts. Um, and then there was, have you seen Good Ship Lollipop? No. I've not seen these Shirley Temple movies. It's, these, I these... don't know if you should. I mean, this is, this is, we can't. <gasps> We're just fine with this, Chris. We're just, everyone's fine with this. That is straight up <laughs> shoe polish to the eye line. I mean, and yeah, Good Ship Lollipop. She's on a train with all these men, like dancing for them. Like <sighs> flirting, which means there was like a choreographer who was like, yeah, shake your toot. The costumer, I'm like, there was that costumer. I am coming for you and you're off. Like I am, they made these little mini skirts and then her diaper underneath like <sighs> matched. It's like, why isn't she wearing pants? Like that's the other thing about this whole conversation about, you know, babies transitioning and toddlers, little girls want to dress as little boys. And I'm like, can, I think little boys and little girls, no one should dress like little girls. <laughs> No one, we don't stop making little mini skirts for girl with, yeah. you know, just all, they should all dress like boys until they're 21. <laughs> okay. No, it's one, practical. Yeah. No one should dress like a little girl, not even little girls at this point. I don't like any of this shit, you know? Um, but yeah. And then, I mean, that conversation, it's like, I'm working on this in my new hour. I know I'm going to get torn apart by it, but it's like the two year olds transition. It's like, I, I grew up poor. Like when you grow up poor, you're whatever gender your older sibling was. Like yep. you don't get to pick. It's just yep. whatever was there. Yeah. Do you do a lot of clothing swaps with oh, friends? Oh, I don't. Yeah, I I have a lot of friends who have kids, and I just inherit everything. Right. I just take everything. I have so many clothes. Actually, I like sh- it's. I try. I'm like trying to give people clothes. That's because awesome. Of, yeah. That's awesome because I feel like that's another thing people get so resentful for their kid because they're spending so much money on. I'm just like, stop buying your kids no, prom just, dresses. Just yeah. ask your friends for their old napkins or some shit. Um, <laughs> really quick, I know I have. To let you go to go do trash Tuesday. What are you working on? Am I allowed to ask? 
about the next thing? Yeah, so um so with Rogan La- wants to know. Rogan wants to know. He's well, very Rogan, invested. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um actually, I think Rogan might be interested in what we're doing right now. We have this whole series called um so in Labyrinths we have another mini series that we've done that's um called Blood Money and it's all about like the history and ethics of true crime. So we spent like two years working on this project and like talking to all the people and all the people who were invested. And so it's, it's, it's good. Can I I ask you a crazy question? Sorry about the Dahmer show, the Dahmer show, which I haven't seen, but it is, it is scripted about Jeffrey Dahmer. Right. What do you make of that? I mean, people got very upset about it. I mean, it's like, I'm just, curious what you think about like these endless document endless movies about um I think what the argument really is is like you're sanitizing these killers or making them hot or sexy casting them these hot actors like Zac Efron playing Ted yeah, Bundy so I know that one because I've yeah. seen that one and I remember um talking to Joe Berlinger about this actually um because I I I'm asked pretending him, I know who that is um so he for people who don't he also did um the He's he's first of all he's the director of that oh, Zac Efron thing, but he also did the documentary about Ted Bundy, mm-hmm. and um, so they did this sort of companion piece thing where there was a documentary about Ted Bundy, and then they had the Zac Efron movie about Ted Bundy. And the whole point he said about doing the Zac Efron movie was to show that. Ted Bundy was charming and yeah. that's one of the ways that he was able How to victimize people and he wanted to show the perspective of this woman who had been his companion for years without mm-hmm. realizing what he was doing and so he wanted to like do you think he intentionally had her as like an alibi type thing or do you think he genuinely Oof. I, I don't know. Like, he, I don't know how to get into the mind of, of that person. I just I, didn't know if it was, like, yeah, I'm asking literally the wrong person. I, by the way, I, I'm like, that's what he was doing. As someone who probably will kill someone in my lifetime. It, it, cause I, do you know Jenna Friedman, the comedian Jenna Friedman? Yeah, sure totally. You know. She's a good yeah. friend of mine. She yeah. did a series. Um, what was it called? Um, uh, it was on, uh, YouTube, it's so funny. We were just talking about it here when she was here last week. She was here last night. Yeah. Um, and she, uh, it's a parroting. Remember the New York Times um, marriage announcements that were on whatever New York Times. It was like rich people like walking around the city. Oh, being, right, it right, was just right. like so whatever elitist like nonsense. And it was Ted we're Bundy. People who matter. It was yeah. It yeah. was Ted Bundy. Ted and Gracie. Mm. And it's like a comedic take on on this. You know, she's obsessed with murders and stuff. But um, but yeah, like it it. Part of the reason that women fall in love with men in prison too, like mm. murderers in yeah, prison. Yeah, the, con- the 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 sense of control over the relationship because yeah. clearly they can't cheat yeah. on you, right? And also like they're really dependent on you in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, I that's what I've I've heard. Like when, at Ted Bundy's hearings, weren't like girls showing up and stuff? girls were yeah. So I think that when I was talking to Joe Berlinger about this, he said that his specific goal in talking about this was in re- was in response to this sort of glamorization that was happening at the time Mm. which was like trying to acknowledge like here was a person who was using his charm and he was drawing in people to believe in him as he was like you know grandiose trying to make his case that he's not a guy who just like fucks skulls and (laughs) and um and it was working and that's the problem and so that's why he he specifically wanted someone like Zac Efron because he was like girls are throwing themselves at Zac Efron Mm -hmm. they were literally throwing themselves at Ted Bundy and And so I've seen some of his movies he is getting away with murder (laughs) um 
But no, I think that's actually a really incisive point because, you know, as uh, my therapist says, charm is a red flag, number one. And as Gavin DeBecker says in The Gift of Fear, which if you haven't read it, I hate your guts. I recommend it every episode about women and, um, you know, uh, they say 99% of women, uh, the 1% that, that, you know, don't are too traumatized to even speak, that in their, what would you call it, your exit interview after being attacked and raped, your post-wrap-up, your employee review, whatever, right. say, I knew there was something off about that guy. I knew it. Like, they just didn't trust their gut because mm. the guy was so charming and he offered to carry their groceries and he opened right. the door for them and da-da-da. Like, there is something about someone being so helpful and so charming, it gaslights you into believing, like, why am I... Like, why would I ever question? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like I, something feels off, but me. I'm such yeah. a narcissist. Like I'm so, you know, why can't I accept a little chivalry? Why, like, why do I, why am I so paranoid? Why am mm -hmm. I so, you know, self? So why would this, you know, and, and it's that charm that actually makes us over, you know, uh, uh, override our gut instinct. There's something off about this guy, but like, mm -hmm. what kind of asshole am I that I can't just accept some chivalry? Right, 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 right. You I'm know, broken. <laughs> what's it? Yeah. Like the guy's just trying to be nice. What's wrong with you? And they, they're like, Oh, let me open the door for you to carry your groceries in. And then they close it. And it's, that's the deal. So charm is like, you know, I think people tend to see it's, I, I'm on his side now. Um, not that I had a side before, but I think that's <laughs> a really smart point because I think most of us think of, you know, the guy I'm dating, you've met him. Everyone's like, ah, oh, this guy's a little, like the person that looks like they would be the, is usually not the person. Hmm. You know what I mean? If you're going to go around being a, 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 a bad person, you're not going to dress like my guy. You're not, he dresses like a school shooter. I'm like, this, but those are the people <laughs> he does, that, he really does. <laughs> he really does. There's a lot of camo. There's so a lot. The, camo. The, 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 <laughs> it's, it's shirts from Amazon. Where did he go to high school? Yeah, it's by the way, it's the it's the mohawk mullet will really get you. I'm like, can you maybe go out in the sun for maybe 20 minutes? Can we not be this pale? Um, but uh, but I think that you know we tend to go and I see it all the time with you know quote unquote stalkers and people that come to my shows. Where everyone's like, ah, oh, that, that person looks. I'm like, nah, dude, it's not gonna be that guy. It's gonna be the charming guy that has the gift, who's like, you know, making everybody like him, who get, finds the access, who figures mm. out a way to get close to somebody. That's the person you have to worry about. Mm. The person you would never suspect. Mm. You know, it's like they say, like, like, and when someone sends a death threat, like, you know, Gavin DeBecker always says, like, that's not the person you have to worry about because the person that's going to do something bad to you is not going to give you a heads up. Right, right, right. Yeah, you no, know? that's true. That's what the FBI always told me when I brought my death threats to them. They were some weird, explicit ones, too. But you're like, but I just, this is, it feels like I need to tell someone about this. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Like, I'm just like, I'm not... No one's ever described, like, fucking me while electrocuting me to death mm -hmm, before. Mm -hmm. So I just, like, who do I talk to about, about that? Because <laughs> I can't breathe. I'm very flattered. Yeah. Um, someone that's been to jail, very honored. Someone's willing. That's what I always do. I'm like, someone's not going to go to jail for me. Also, can you imagine killing me and then I have a, ro a double? <laughs> Like, you like, I have a robot. Just the idea of just like, you, is that why you have the robot? You're gonna in kill the, the only girl that has a double. Like, um, but uh, but also something that really blew not blew my mind, but just along these lines of the person that I have in my life that actually is a danger, uh, more to others, um, is a woman. Hmm. Is a woman, and that's a tricky one to to with security to be like this per. And then they're like, "Ah, it's a girl," and you're like, "That's the same thing." Of like, "Ah, oh, it's Ted Bundy. He has a great hairline. Right? He's wearing Abercrombie khakis. Don't what like just the things that we've sort of for whatever reason, movies, etc. 
been, you know, uh, convinced ourselves is not the stereotype of what someone dangerous would look like. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, what someone I feel looks like, like a, isn't their behavior. I feel like he got a lot of shit for that movie. He did. Absolutely, he did. And that was the beginning of people, like, giving people shit for doing movies that made a character out of what we want to think is uh, simply a monster. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's a tricky question. Like, it's not clear. I think there's there's intention, there's execution, there's a world in between, um, there's how people are receiving it, there's whether or not the actual victims of the person were consulted. Um, uh, like, there's those kinds uh, of issues. Um because, like, I can't tell you the number of times that people have said, like, I didn't know that there was going to be a film where I'm a character in it yep. until it came out. That was a big one in um, the Dahmer one. Yeah. And if you're going to do it, pay me. Like, give me the option to. Right. You know? And also, it's like, yeah, the Dahmer guy, a lot of it was like, he's such a daddy. He's so hot. And that's when you're like, Meh. It Was that the narrative about him? I don't actually know that much about Dahmer. Was that like a thing? Did He's, I mean, like, I mean, look, it's hard to find an actor that's not going to be hot and symmetrical and, right. you know, whatever, emotionally unavailable. <laughs> and he's very strong. <laughs> he was able to put a, I mean, you know. But, um, but yeah, I do think there's also just that, that sneaky part of our, you know, nature where whether it's, you know, an obsession with true crime, whether it's our, our primordial brain wanting to do research, mm-hmm. like, you know, it's like looking at a car crash. It's like, yeah, uh, you know, they say it's to, to, to research what to not do yep. um, or what to worry about. Or if it's just straight up adrenaline turns into dopamine and mm-hmm. things, you know, we we watch horror movies. We sign up to get scared. Right. You know, we love it, a puzzle. It makes dread exactly. It makes adrenaline. Well, this we know how it's going to end. We know how Dahmer is going to end. We've known the end of it, but we just want to watch the. The, the blood, the messy, addictive, yeah, yeah, the addictive nature of it. I mean, I remember watching Mindhunter and being like so mad because I felt like, and look, he he told the story. I think the it's David Fincher. I mean, is brilliant, but it felt like every narrative was like, well, it's the mom's fault for not letting him wear a pantyhose. <laughs> it felt like <laughs> it every is, murder so is every made. psychopath is like has a bad mom. Isn't there like even a show about that? That's like. It shows, like, it just traces everything back to the mom. Well, where was the dad? If there was a dad around, maybe the mom (laughs) wouldn't have, like, had to be the only, you know, influence in his life. But, yeah, it felt like every serial killer, the mom, if the mom had just let him wear her heels, we wouldn't be in this jam. (laughs) You know what I mean? Or, like, it just, it felt a little bit like, you know. But, um, but, you know, who knows? Do do you think that the true crime obsession is the, our brain doing research or, like, adrenaline addiction thing? I mean, I think that it has been a part of our psychology for way longer than we want to think. Mm. We want to think that like true crime is this like new phenomenon that we're all obsessed with. Well, but we like to, the Romans, we would go sign up, go to a coliseum, and watch people die get, slowly in ex- front of us. Exactly. Like this is super historical. I think that it's. Um, I think we're all fascinated by our own human nature. Mm. We all want to understand each other. We want us to understand dangers. We want to solve puzzles. Mm. Um, we want to feel like we have some kind of control over a really chaotic universe. Mm. Um, and I think that yeah. part of true crime is that feeling of some kind of control in a chaotic universe. Um, mm, so true. But I think that the problem is that it's become such a commodity. And like truly, truly the worst experiences of people's lives have become a commodity that then mm. comes to define them. And there are so many people who have been in positions like me or who have been, you know, victims of crimes have been exploited because by people in industries who are profiting off of it, profiting off of their pain, and then 
telling them things like this is your chance to tell your story but then they go and tell it however way they want and meanwhile so then they get to walk away from the experience with the money and that person who has lived that experience gets re-traumatized in a whole new way so i feel like knowing how the sausage gets made is really really important and considering that there are lived consequences that people deal with um, should give us a better understanding of the kind of things that we're consuming um, just on a sort of guilty pleasure basis. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm all for guilty pleasure. I I do have to minimize my watching it. I watched that Killer Sally documentary of the, the woman, the bodybuilders, and she, you know, it's these bodybuilders and they were, um, in short, they were going to Tijuana and getting these wild steroids. And then her bodybuilder husband, his friend had just killed, had like a rage and like killed oh, his girlfriend. And he, the, this Sally's husband was beating her and she got a gun and he, she just knew she was like, he's going to kill. This is the night he's going to kill me. And he was beating her, beating her. She grabbed the gun, shot him in the back. Mm. So it's not self-defense. They've got it. And she was honest. She was like, yeah, I grabbed the gun as he turned around and I shot him. And then she went to jail because it has to, for self-defense, he's got to be facing you or the person has to be facing right, you. Right, and it was right. just like, I was watching it and I was just like, why am I doing this to myself? Like I'm making, I'm getting addicted to this shit. And it's it just, is very addicting. I think that's, that's absolutely true. Well, there's also a little bit of a little hit of superiority. Well, at least I'm not in this relationship. Like it's just little as if this is what I need to feel superior, we really got to work or on. Or just a gratitude check. Like, oh yeah. God, things could be so much worse. And yeah. And just like the anger of like the legal system. Mm-hmm. Like I would, I don't recommend you because you're watching how she's getting interrogated and you're just, Ooh. she's just telling the truth and it's just, she's so fucked and it's just watching her getting taken away from her child it's just like kind of a um what would you call that um i don't um it feels just like cutting or something i don't know yeah i mean it's weird how train wrecks and and things unraveling just fascinate human beings and you're learning because i really was like oh yeah if i need to shoot someone who's attacking me i better i better wait till they attack me again you know it's just like and, and it's just like someone in a shitty situation, things go sideways, and you're just like, God damn it. Like, it's just, yeah, it makes me go like, whew, okay. Yeah, all right. All we, right. We survived this, You guys. know what? Let's- okay, <laughs> so uh, this is making me feel a little bit better about, you know, um, accidentally tweeting my address on OnlyFans. Um, <laughs> did you do that? Yes, I did. Oh, and honestly, no. I will say OnlyFans fans, because these are people that are not, they don't want your work for free. Whereas mm. I find on Instagram, on Twitter, it's like, this wasn't funny and you shouldn't say this. Well, that's one of the big problems with true crime is that people feel entitled to it. And interesting. And so I feel like that is, that's huge. Like, it's not that there aren't worthy stories to tell. Mm-hmm. It's just. <laughs> oh <my> God, <laughs> Sorry. Um, no, please. And I'm going to um, um, end very awkwardly per usual because it is 2.30 and you do have to go and I don't want you guys to be rushing. Okay. I love you so much that I'm going to actually cut this off early fully circumcising this um <laughs> i love you amanda knox labyrinth um uh i cannot wait to hear the yes the, the new series is blood money speaking of cannot wait yeah i cannot wait i love you thank you for doing this you can catch her on the roast of whitney cummings um on OnlyFans tv it is free of.tv slash whitney slash roast or just go to of tv it's on the homepage. um and uh I love you. Go. Love I can't wait. Um, Labyrinth, Labyrinth. It'll just make you so much smarter. When I listen to their podcast, I do have to look up words every now and then. Oh, shoot. Um, but Sorry. I, it's good. <laughs> I feel so much smarter. Um, I love you. Um, thank you for doing this. Absolutely. You're the best. Okay, don't ride elephants. <laughs> and you can catch her on them. Trash Tuesday also with the, with the maniacs. All right, love on you. On my way.
the it's always the right time deal. Hey, want to go to Mickey D's for lunch? Ooh, let's go now. <laughs> But it's not lunchtime yet. If we're going to McDonald's, it's always the right time. Yeah, it's hard to argue with that. There's a deal for every lunch hour at McDonald's. Now's the time to get two for $3.99. Mix and match a four-piece McNuggets, a McDouble, a McChicken, or a hot and spicy McChicken. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price.